From the Exploratorium in San Francisco, this is Small Talk. We're taking a survey today at the Exploratorium. If I told you that a researcher used nanotechnology to build a tiny, nano-sized car, what would you say? i got to be honest. When you said the word uh, nanotechnology, I thought you were talking about an iPod Nano. Well, a little, little car for, I don't know, a person, maybe? For ants that want a car? I don't know. A little too small for an ant. So it's teeny, teeny? Yeah. I don't know why you would use that car, then. Oh, maybe to carry atoms around? Great. So we can haul around other atoms in our small nanocars, right? Well, you couldn't really put really atoms inside a car. Well, I suppose you could, but you wouldn't really usually do things like that. This is the February edition of Small Talk. This month, we'll be chatting with the man who does build the world's smallest vehicles. He calls them nanocars. Chemist Jim Tour tells us about his nanocars and how he thinks these could lead to nano-sized factories. We'll also hear from graduate student Diane Hickey, who will tell us some of the interesting reactions she's run into when explaining nanotechnology. And, of course, we'll play our nano news quiz. Hi, I'm Stephanie Chasteen, and I'm a physicist at the Exploratorium, the Museum of Science, Art, and Human Perception. And I'm Karen Schmidt. I'm a science journalist. Each month, we get together to have little conversations about little things. We find interesting people to chat with who are working in nanotechnology. That's the science and engineering of things the size of enzymes, those molecules in our bodies that do things like convert sugar into energy. We think nanotechnology could dramatically change our world. Just imagine if we could figure out how to design and build our own molecule-sized machines, similar to enzymes, that could do important jobs for us. Our shows are on the web at www.nisnet.org slash podcasts. That's N-I-S-E-N-E-T dot org slash podcasts. Come join us for some small talk. Jim Tour is an organic chemist at Rice University in Houston, Texas. They say everything's big in Texas, but not in Tour's lab. His team recently built the world's smallest cars, complete with chassis, wheels, and motors. Each nanocar is just three nanometers across. That's about the width of a strand of DNA, and you could park 20,000 of these cars side by side across a human hair. Jim's made five different kinds of nanocars, including what he calls nano trucks, nano coopers, and even nano backhoes. And each time he makes these nanocars, he makes a quintillion of them. That's a billion times a billion. He uses chemistry to synthesize those nanocars, but he uses the tools of physics to see how they actually perform. That is, he uses the scanning tunneling microscope, or STM. That's the same instrument that Don Eigler uses to push atoms around. We talked to Eigler in November's edition of Small Talk. We got a chance to talk to Jim recently when he came to San Francisco for the annual meeting of the American Chemical Society. He was here to give presentations about his nanocars and his many other projects. As one colleague described him, Jim seems to be able to develop something new every week. In fact, Small Times Magazine just named him Innovator of the Year. 
tour sounded like a guy on the cutting edge of nanotechnology. So Karen and I arranged to meet him at his hotel during the conference. It's 6.45 in the morning, and believe it or not, the place is already coming alive with scientists getting their coffee and preparing for their conference. We're meeting Jim here, and we're going to find a quiet room to chat. Uh, Thanks for talking with me, Jim. My pleasure. And I know you're here at the conference to talk about your nanocars. You'll be giving that talk in a few hours. Tell me uh, why you wanted to build something like that. These are extremely tiny. Yes, they are very small, but the key is not their size, but as much as, as how many of them one has. So, for example... In the southern part of the United States, we have a problem with fire ants. These are, these are very small ants, and, and one ant is never much trouble. But when you have many of them, you walk out of your home in the morning, and there's this large mound of dirt on your front lawn that wasn't there the day before. And it turns out that hundreds of thousands of fire ants have built this mound of dirt. And so um, the key is not how much cargo an individual can carry if you have lots of individuals. So what we do is we make the nanocars that are are only about 3 nanometers by 4 nanometers in size, and we want to be able to understand the transport at the nano level. And could you describe what the parts of the nanocar are and what those different parts are made of? Okay, so the nanocar has... Uh, wheels, the first generation nanocars had wheels made out of fullerenes, C60, those carbon spheres. And those are the same as buckyballs, the little soccer-shaped carbon molecules, correct? That's correct. That's correct. So, so the first cars had those as wheels, and then they would have a chassis made of carbon and hydrogen, uh, sometimes some nitrogen and oxygen put in there as well. And so it would have a chassis and, and fully rotating axles and, and a loading bay. And especially as we started getting more into the nano trucks, the loading bay was important because we want to be able to transport material from point A to point B. So, for example, we eat breakfast this morning, and later on it becomes a part of our body. And how did that happen? It's because we have these little machines in us called enzymes that that break things down and then transport it to the places that are needed. One could think of doing the same thing with synthetic molecules on a surface, moving small entities into place so that it's built up piece by piece, uh, nano-sized moiety upon another, one upon another, till we get a macroscopic structure. But these cars are so small, what could they possibly carry? And what would you think that you might want to carry in them? Maybe a small drug molecule? or uh, One might do that. Um, Right now, we're able to put on them a single atom, and in some cases, several atoms could be carried. The other thing that we're thinking about is one of the first phases that we'd like to build is is to be able to build uh, uh, memories for computers. And so we would bring a quantum dot, a small amount of metal atoms, into place with one of these nanocars. And and what's a quantum dot? A quantum dot is just a can be just a, a cluster of metal atoms, group of metal atoms that might, that might uh, be able to hold an electron to store some memory. So how many atoms does it take to build one nanocar? Oh, well, a nanocar probably has about a thousand atoms somewhere in that range. And how do they move? And do they move similarly to what thing, the way things move in our macroscopic world, or are they moving in a different way? That's a good question. I mean, many people thought that if we had a nanocar, they actually wouldn't roll, even though we had wheels and axles. They thought it would be more like a car on ice. 
that it would slide across the surface. And then, then we proved, no, it actually does roll. So you have four wheels, it rolls, and it likes to move forward and backward much more than it does side to side. So just as a car doesn't move side to side unless it is, for example, on ice. So you're visualizing them with some kind of powerful microscope, I take it, and you have a little video to, to show me how they, yeah, yeah. How they move? Yes, we can, we, we can monitor them by, by microscopes. And so, uh, but the way we actually get molecular structure is not by using a microscope. We get molecular structure by using something called spectroscopy. And then once we know the structure, then we can, we can put them on a surface and view them with a scanning tunneling microscope. At this point, Jim opened up his computer to show us a series of STM images. On a red background, we see many clusters of four white dots, and those are the wheels of the nanocars. And in each frame, the clusters have moved. What you'll see here is a movie where we have a nanocar, and this particular one, and it's facing this way. The first thing it's going to do is it's going to turn, and then it's going to move out across a surface. And we're going to just screen pictures one after another as this goes along. So it's turned, and, and there it is. And it's moving now across the surface, so you can see it there, there, and uh, eventually uh, bumps into another nanocar there. And that's actually the, was the first nanoscale collision, <laughs> where two cars actually hit one another. Uh, but what you see here is these are individual frames because it's not really filming. It's analogous to taking a picture, for example, of your car in front of your home and then coming in a year from now and taking a picture of your car in front of your workplace. And one might make the assumption that it took you a year to go from your home to your workplace. But we know that you probably did a lot in the interim. How are these little vehicles powered? Well, the, the picture you just saw, it was powered just by heating the substrate. So these particular nanocars are moving across a gold surface. And so we heat the gold surface to about 170, 180 degrees centigrade. And that provides enough thermal energy just from the surface that the cars will start to roll. And in fact, we have another technique where we can watch their motion based upon an electric field. So in this case, we're putting a scanning tunneling microscope tip in front of the car, and it's, it's tracking and following the tip. We later built a nanocar that has actually a motor in it. And so the motor rotates when it's impacted by light. And now uh, we're building other versions that would have the equivalent of a two-cylinder engine rather than a one-cylinder. So, so the hope is that it would move a little bit faster. So you don't have that much control over where they're going or yet. Or, and so it might be a little hard to use them yet to actually carry a load somewhere? Yes, that's definitely the case. So right now what we've been able to do is we've been able to build cars and watch them roll across the surface. Just to give you an idea, to make our first car took us about six or seven years. Uh, but since we've made that first car, now we've probably made a dozen or so other cars now that we know how to do it. But to get just even the images that I've showed you where the car was moving across the surface took us two years. So it shows you that the tools that we have for imaging at these levels are, are really quite crude. And though we can move the cars by electric fields or by thermal induction, we do not have good control. 
And that's, that's probably going to be the much harder challenge now than making them is learning how to manipulate them. So that, that's our next big challenge. So it sounds to me like you're interested in maybe going in the direction of nano-sized factories where you could move things around and build things. Is that what you're talking about? And do we have parts and components? Are those all being developed Yes, that's very much the case. We, the reason why we're, we're able now to build the nanocars so fast in many different models, we've made very small ones that we call the Nano Cooper, circling ones that have an axle that's turned. The, the reason we can do this is because we do use these interchangeable parts. We'll use the same axle in many different versions. We'll use uh, the same chassis components. And so now we have something analogous to bins of every, every part that we need and now it's a matter of, of putting them together. So if all your dreams for your work came true and, and for nanotechnology, what do you think will be possible 10 to 20 years from now? Well, 10 years from now, I think people will be doing things a bit more sophisticated than what we're doing now, but not the great advances that are going to amaze the world. Even 20 years from now, we'll, we'll have learned, I think, to pick up objects very small objects and move them into place and move arrays of them. Personally, I think it's going to be more on the order of 50 years to 75 years before we're really manufacturing this way. Now, I could be wrong because technology has a way of of moving exponentially rather than linearly. Uh, so it may come sooner, but it's going to be quite some time before we can really build any any sophisticated system. But this is just the beginning. And what would that mean for society, though, if we're, when, once we would be capable of doing that? Well, I think that, that what we could envision is that we could envision building in a very different way than what we do now. So, for example, we're sitting in a building, and, and this building was built much like we've been building buildings for the last 5,000 years. You bring in bricks and sticks and mortar, and you start building. Uh, what one might be able to do is just take nanocars, nanotrucks, nanomachines, bring in raw materials and have these little entities assemble large structures from the bottom up. Now, many people say, oh, that's just a bunch of science fiction. But the thing is, this is ubiquitous. So if you look at everything in nature is built from the bottom up this way, including you and me. And so we are surrounded by examples of bottom up construction, where little machines have put together small structures which have assembled then into larger and larger macroscopic entities. And these things need not be slow. There are some strains of grass, for example, that grow two feet tall in a single day. If we just increase that, say, by an order of magnitude, make it 20 feet tall in a single day, that's actually quite rapid construction. And the sophistication in that blade of grass is more than the sophistication in this building. Uh, So once we understand it, we might be able to build from the bottom up in this way. Thanks for talking with me, Jim. Thank you. So building our own nano-sized machines and factories might be feasible. As Jim pointed out, look around you at how nature builds things. Think about fire ants and growing grass and our own bodies. The question is whether we can learn to master nature's methods. That's a challenge that some scientists think we're just not up to. Even Jim thinks it's still decades away. It'll take research and time before we know it's possible. This has been Stephanie Chastine and Karen Schmidt talking with Jim Tour of Rice University. 
You can find Jim's movies and pictures through our website at www.nisnet.org slash podcasts. For today's audio perspective, we'll hear from Diane Hickey. She's a graduate student working on a Ph.D. in material science at the University of Florida. Diane studies materials that could be used in electronics the size of Jim Tour's nanocars. When Diane tells her family and friends about the field that she's chosen to study, she often has to explain what nanotechnology is and is not. She also runs into some interesting misperceptions. Here's Diane to tell us her story. In the summer of 2004, a good friend's fiancé, his name is Andrew, asked me what kind of research I did. I told him, nanotechnology, fully expecting that I'd have to explain this word. But to my surprise, he said, really? That is so cool. I looked at him, perplexed. I asked, you know what nanotechnology is? Yeah, he said, that's when robots run around in your bloodstream. I laughed, and then I replied, not quite yet. Actually, a lot of products on the market right now have nanotechnology in them. For example, those Eddie Bauer stand-free pants. Really, he asked. I just bought two pairs of those pants. And I said, well, then, you actually own some nanotech. And he replied, that is so cool. I've got robots in my pants. I think Andrew was kidding with me. I hope he doesn't believe that he has tiny robots running around in his pants. But his comment really made me think, where would he come up with associating nanotechnology with tiny robots in his blood? So I decided to undertake a research project to determine where people get their information about nanotechnology. Most of us have heard some references to nanotechnology in the popular press. Many make nanotechnology sound powerful and maybe even destructive. Movies like Spider-Man, futuristic books like Engines of Creation, and especially the popular fiction like Michael Crichton's book Prey. My mother actually read the book Prey. And as she got to page three, she asked me, nanotechnology, isn't that what you study? Yep, that's what I study. Prey is a book about nanoscience things that can make copies of themselves and then go berserk and cause all sorts of trouble. So when my mom was done with the book, she came back to me and said, I don't want you working on nanotechnology anymore. I hope she was joking because I'm still working on it. But anyway, most of us understand the difference between fiction and reality. So where do we get unbiased information? The easy answer is the media. Newspapers, TVs, and magazines. You know, mainstream media. That's a credible source of information, right? So that's where I decided to look. And to start with, I looked at three big newspapers. First of all, I found that there were not too many stories out there. Over a two-year time span, there were only about 100 nanotechnology articles. No wonder the public doesn't know much about it. Recently, a published study actually backed me up on that. Only 10% know a lot about nanotechnology. 20% of Americans have heard something about them. But in general, 42% of Americans have heard nothing at all about nanotechnology. So if you're listening to this podcast, count yourself an informed audience. But of all the articles I found, over half the articles about nanotechnology didn't contain any definition of what it was. The articles that actually had definitions sometimes even weren't very defining. The technical definition was pretty common. A nanometer is a billionth of a meter. That's true, but it's not very insightful. Others dealt with building machines or devices atom by atom. And very few spoke about the possibility of molecular manufacturing, using these small devices in a nanofactory. 
And a third of the health articles I looked at referred to the possibility of surgical robots, or indeed, as my friend Andrew said, robots in the bloodstream. At this point, we don't even know if building small robots is possible, or probable, or even useful. We're just too far away. But it is a point of debate in some public realms. Eric Drexler, who wrote the futuristic book Engines of Creation, and Richard Smalley, a Nobel Prize-winning physicist, have actually had debates about molecular manufacturing, self-replication, and other topics. Another thing I found was that newspapers portrayed nanotechnology in a positive light. They said it's a technology that will improve people's lives. Although they did bring up potential risks, this agrees with other studies saying that Americans feel pretty positive about nanotech, even though they don't know much about it. So yes, in my opinion, the news media is delivering more accurate information than my mother is getting from the popular media. However, I really feel we can do better. Even though a journalist might say, robots in the blood are only a future possibility, obviously all my friend Andrew heard was, robots in my blood. And my mother still thinks that nanotechnology might destroy the world. So although I want to think that the newspedia has done a pretty good job, there's definitely room for improvement. I want to read about the nanotechnology that's here and now, not some only slightly possible view of the far-off future. So that the next time I talk to Andrew, I won't have to break his heart and tell him, no, Andrew, there are no robots in your pants. That was Diane Hickey, a graduate student in material science at the University of Florida. And now it's time to play Nano News or Nano Nonsense. We'll read you a series of three news stories. One of them is nonsense. Can you spot it? So joining us for our quiz today is Ron Hipschman at the Exploratorium. Uh, Ron is our self-described loose cannon. It even says so on his business card. And he does everything from web development to IT to webcasts. Uh, so thank you for joining us and welcome to the quiz, Ron. Thank you. You think you're going to win today? Absolutely. All right. Our first story, number one. In October, our governor here in California, Arnold Schwarzenegger, drove a prototype nano SUV. Probably the smallest car he's ever driven then, huh? Well, that was at a campaign rally in Silicon Valley. Of course. The SUV was bright green, and it was built from super strong, lightweight nanocomposite materials. And it was also coated in nanofilms that resist dirt and scratches. And the ti- Much like his films, I guess. <laughs> and the tires were reinforced with carbon nanotubes for longer wear. And the car draws its power from a new kind of hydrogen fuel cell that was precisely engineered using nanomaterials and nanocatalysts. So according to him, that nano SUV could help the state kick the fossil fuel habit by 2020. Nano news or nano nonsense? Hmm. You don't have to decide now. We've got two more to go. Okay. I want to hear the others first. Okay. So number two. Okay. Ready for number two. You're ready for number two? I'm ready. Okay. Some researchers in Pennsylvania announced that they've got the world's tiniest test tube. It's called a single-walled carbon nanotube. It's made of a curved sheet of carbon atoms. And that's hollow inside and only about three atoms wide. So it, it's, it's, it's a little bit thick. Three atoms thick? Three atoms wide across the oh, diameter. Okay. okay. Um, the thickness of the test tube is much thinner than that. Wow. So the scientists reported that they've seen new kinds of chemistry inside those nanotubes. I think that's nano news. Well, we've got one more to go. Okay. In August, researchers at Harvard University announced that they'd found a way to send and receive signals to a single nerve cell using wires made of silicon that are just 20 nanometers thick. The team did that by building a little microchip with nanowires crisscrossing its surface, and then they stuck a nerve cell on top of it. 
Um, they got that nerve cell from a rat. And the neuron grew and stretched and then made more than 50 links with those nanowires. And that means that these artificial synapses are really similar to actually what exists in the body. Uh, this advance could lead to better prosthetic devices like robotic arms and legs with finer motor control. Okay, so let's, let's go over all three one more time. Okay, so let's review. So the, number one was that nano SUV. Mm-hmm. And number two was the world's tiniest test tube. Mm-hmm. And number three was nano links to neurons. Okay. So which one of those sounds like nano nonsense? Okay. It's a tough set of questions you have there. I am going to make a stab, though. I'm going to choose that number three as being the nano nonsense, uh, even though it sounds very plausible because uh, biologists – have been and neurophysiologists have been doing microelectrode work for many many years now. Um, it's not there's nothing new about that. So my guess is number three. Okay, I'm going to make you wait a few minutes to find out uh, while we go over all the stories. Okay. So number two, you're right. That world's tiniest test tube was nano news. So the scientists found that inside the nanotubes, water molecules circle up in groups of seven and form new kinds of bonds with each other. The researchers said that working in those tiny, tiny test tubes, they expect to discover a wide range of new chemical and physical properties of matter. And that third story, I'm sorry, Ron, but that actually was nano news. Sure, we have been able to stimulate single nerve cells for a really long time, but we've only been able to do that pretty crudely before by connecting just once or twice to each neuron. In the past, we've used microelectrodes, which are hundreds of times larger than the nanowires that were used in, in this recent study. So those tiny nanowires let the researchers make many connections to each neuron, up to 50. Uh, and that's closer to how the brain is actually wired. So this research could lead to advances in recording and studying the brain, and maybe even better neural implants for people with Parkinson's. So that leaves number one, actually. Um, as great as it sounds, that nano SUV is actually nano nonsense. Um, no one, not even our governor, has unveiled a prototype for a nano-enhanced automobile yet. But don't be surprised if such a thing does happen in the future because the automobile industry is looking at all kinds of nanotechnologies for use in cars, like super strong and lightweight nanocomposite pieces, nanocoatings, nanocatalysts, and so on. Uh, The researchers are exploring many nanomaterials that show promise in hydrogen fuel cells and hydrogen fuel storage. So that's a green dream that could one day come true. I don't believe it. Well, thank you for playing our quiz, Ron. Thank you. It was fun. Do I win Carl Castle's voice on my email? No, I don't, I guess. Do do I? You can win my voice on your answering (laughs) machine. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, sure. You can make me an answering machine message anytime you want. A very small, a nano one. (laughs) You've been listening to Small Talk. Thanks for joining us. Today's show was written and produced by Stephanie Chastine and Karen Schmidt for the Exploratorium and the Nanoscale Informal Science Education Network. We are supported by the National Science Foundation. You can find us on the web at www.nisnet.org slash podcasts. That's N-I-S-E-N-E-T dot org slash podcasts. Or email us at smalltalk at exploratorium.edu. Please call us with your comments and questions at 
888-781-3202. All music is licensed under the Creative Commons. You've heard My Name is Jeff by Four Stones, and you're listening to Pop Science by Devin Anderson. You've been listening to Small Talk. Join us next month for more conversations about nanotechnology.